See Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome. I'm Elaine Miller Karras, and this is Resiliency Within. Well, first of all, I think we all know it's hard to get out of this life without experiencing some kind of trauma. And this month is Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Awareness Month. And today's show will address two healing strategies, eye movement desensitization reprocessing, commonly referred to as EMDR, and the trauma resiliency model, also called TRM or TRIM. And both of these models can help our listeners who are suffering from trauma and may have been diagnosed with PTSD. And my guest today is Dr. Kate Wheeler, a leading authority in the treatment of trauma and the author of the award-winning textbook, um, which is called Psychotherapy for the Advanced Practice Psychiatric Nurse. That is an excellent source book for all psychotherapists, regardless of the discipline. She's a past president of EMDRIA, and that is the international membership organization dedicated to the highest standards of excellence and integrity in EMDR. Kate is also an EMDR International Association approved consultant and trainer and has published a number of research studies on EMDR with her colleagues. She's on the editorial boards of the Journal of EMDR Practice and Research and the Journal of the American Psychiatric Nurse Association. She's also a professor of nursing at the Fairfield University Egan School of Nursing and the director of the Psychiatric Nurse Practitioner Program. Now, many of you may have seen EMDR Treatment Live, it was recently highlighted by Oprah Winfrey and Prince Harry as a treatment for trauma on their Apple TV series, The Me You Can't See. With empathy and vulnerability, they both shared the traumas of their youth. And PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is a condition that affects the mind and the body. It can occur in children and teens and adults who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event. It can occur in all people of any ethnicity, nationality, or culture. You know, it's estimated that one in 11 people will be diagnosed with PTSD in their lifetime. And that is trauma in general that may not meet that diagnosis. And Kate's going to explain to us a little bit about the importance of that. But I also want to just say, because many of you know that I am also an old trauma therapist and helped create the trauma resiliency model, that PTSD reactions are often sparked by multi-sensory reminders of the event that can feel like the event is recurring in the present moment, even though it may have happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So, but we know, and we're going to both talk about this, there are ways to intercept um, the, the sparks of the past trauma that derail our lives and ways that EMDR and TRIM can help to reprocess traumatic experiences. Now, first of all, I want to just tell you a little bit about how I met Kate, because it was really kind of fun. I was in South Africa about to do a training and the South Africans had organized the training. And I see on the first day there on the roster and most people are from different parts of South Africa. And there is Kate Wheeler, Connecticut. What in the heck is Kate Wheeler doing in Connecticut? So she told me later, she goes, well, Lane, you weren't offering the training in the US. So I decided to go to Africa to take the training. But it has been such a delight. Kate and I have become fast friends since then and colleagues. 
we have um, conspired together to create a um, what's called a trauma certificate program that's offered through Fairfield University, where the uh, psychotherapists learn EMDR one and two from, from Kate, and they learn TRIM from the Trauma Resource Institute, and then they're awarded a certificate. And we really believe in what we call the evolution of psychotherapy. And that's about, you know, oh, one treatment's better than the other. No, it's about there can be an integration. There can be a collaboration. There can be something, oh my goodness, this really is helpful for EMDR. And this is really helpful if you can integrate sometimes the trauma resiliency model skills in that can actually help the client have a, maybe even a fuller experience at times. So in any event, I want you all to know that today we're going to be talking about trauma. And I know many of our listeners have experienced it and we may spark in you your own memory. And I just want to remind people that there is a crisis line that's offered throughout the country. It's 1-800-273-TALK. Talk is 8255-1-800-273-TALK. And they also have um, a crisis text line, which is just MHA to 741741. And this is just with our listeners within the US. Um, I'm not sure if it can be reached internationally or not. So with that, my dear friend, Kate Wheeler, welcome to the show. I'm so grateful that you're here with me today. And I'm going to ask you as we start kind of getting up from the gate is, you know, you have done so much in your life. And I'm just curious if you could share a little bit with us is how your life experiences have inspired you to be a leader in EMDR and really a person who's bringing healing to um, our worldwide community. So what about your life has inspired you to do this, Kate? First, thank you so much, Elaine, for inviting me. It's my pleasure and honor to be here. I've listened to your previous podcast, and it's very exciting to actually be participating. Um, I think what brought me to this field of trauma is being a nurse, and I worked for many years in uh, ICUs and acute care units, so um, working you know, at Bellevue and New York Hospital when I moved to New York, but um, I started to feel kind of like a robot because I was taking care of machines that people were tethered to. And I really wanted to have relationships with my patients. So I decided to go into psychiatric nursing and went to NYU and got a master's and eventually a doctorate and then went into psychoanalytic training. So I think the influences have really been about being a nurse and treating the person holistically and seeing kind of the opposite in terms of what happens when you go into the hospital. There's a whole big gap between, you know, um, how the allopathic model really just takes care of your physical problems, which you do need when you're in that situation, but it kind of misses the mark in terms of the whole person. You know, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, you're the perfect guest right now, especially with us kind of re-entering again and many people having been in the hospital because of COVID and other conditions during a time when they couldn't have visitors. And I imagine that there's going to be a lot of re-entry reactions. Um, we've talked about a little bit on the show before. I imagine there's there'll be some grief and all sorts of things. And I think so. You actually have a private practice now where you see people one-on-one and can provide the different kinds of healing modalities that you've learned in your life. And, you know, I also know, you know, cause we, you and I've been around the block a few times. We're no longer um, youngsters 
that we also have had our own personal story of things that have, have challenged us in our life. And I think it's, you know, I always think about, you know, those of us that are women and we're pioneers, that sometimes we've had to face um, some difficult things, even professionally, in terms of the, the struggles of sometimes that can come along with patriarchy. And so I'm just wondering if you could share um, what, what do you do to get through difficult times? Is there a particular resource that you have or something that you fall back on that has helped you when times are tough? Well, I think it's not, you know, really one particular thing. I think if I think about when times are tough, I usually reach out to friends and family and I'm blessed to be from a large family. So I have siblings that I connect with that I'm close to. Um, and also I think, um, you know, I try in between the hard times to keep up kind of a healthy exercise routine and I get a lot of satisfaction from my work and connection with students and also, you know, with my patients. So I think it's really about, you know, connecting, connecting to your own inner self and what's important to you and being authentic, no matter what situation you're in. Yeah, so it sounds like you're doing a lot of caring for the self, but that relationships are really important. And I think that we see that throughout the world, that sometimes the very thing that helps us get through are those ways that we cultivate those relationships. And you and I both know that sometimes trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder can actually sometimes isolate us and we sometimes can um, fall away from those very relationships that are important to us. So I'm wondering if we can move into some of the questions that we prepared for the day today. And that is, um, you know, there's post-traumatic stress disorder, but there's something called trauma that really you've, you've, you've shared with me, you feel is, is a broader context. Could you talk a little bit about the broader con context of trauma? Yes, I think we usually think about trauma as a terrible event that happens. Um, used to, it's called a Criterion A event that we all agree is horrible. Um, you know, a natural disaster or rape or something that there's consensual validation that anyone would be traumatized. But trauma can also be, um, I'm sorry, I just got a phone call. Um, I think the small T's as well as the large T's. And the small T's, the studies have shown small traumas can have just as many trauma symptoms um, as a large event does. It's really about what happens inside the person. And so any emotional um, or overwhelming threat is going to create physiological somatic disturbances if the person feels powerless enough or vulnerable. So it's also about things that happen to you, but it's also about things that should have happened that didn't happen. For instance, in childhood, when you're young and uh, you may have a parent who's, um, and you didn't have good attachment, um, or it could be things like bullying or maybe illness, humiliation. Um, you know, as an adult, it could certainly be any loss or divorce. So when we broaden the context of trauma from PTSD, yes, PTSD is a DSM diagnosis and, um, you know, very debilitating with specific uh, triad of symptoms, but 
trauma can really encompass much more than that. And it's a part of life that everyone has experienced trauma to some extent. And I think that's where kind of- And I think is that when we talk about a small T, it doesn't mean that the person experienced it as a small T. Is, and I can, I can remember a story someone shared with me way back in the beginning of my training. Um, and it was a person who, um, during the 50s, a lot of kids got, the, got appendectomies. It's like, oh, every, I mean, their tonsils out. They had tonsillectomies. And so you'd go into a big room and you'd be there with your parents. And when it was your turn, the nurse would come in with the gurney and you know the child would pop onto the gurney. The nurse would go with the parents. The child would, co- would, would go with the nurse. And then the parents would come back and sit in the room without the child. Well, in this particular person, what she shared with me was that she thought that when the child left and didn't come back with the parents, that the child had died. And so when it was her turn, she didn't think, think she was going to have a tonsillectomy. She thought she was going to her death. And she marks that as something that changed, just like you said, changed her physiology, that after that, she was never the same. So it was the perceived event of it being life-threatening for her. And I think that's really important for our listeners to know, because sometimes we don't you know, say, well, nothing really happened to me, because they didn't put that tonsillectomy or something like that into the context of why maybe something happened inside of them that changed the way they felt, not only in their body, but also in how they perceived the world. So I'm so glad. I know when I first read Francine Shapiro, the creative EMDR, talk about little T trauma, as well as big tree, I'm go- I was like an amen, hallelujah moment. Thank you. So that we can have greater understanding of that. So, so with that, would you? is there anything more you want to say about that broader perspective of trauma before I move to another question? Well, I think trauma can also, you know, include the societal traumas, even, you know, climate change, patriarchy, systemic racism. Um, Trauma occurs in systems and the medical system, certainly in the criminal system and the educational system on a larger, grander scale. But I think what's really important is to think about not so much, um, you know, what's wrong with you, but kind of what happened, what context are you living in and what's happened to you to create the symptoms. And the DSM, where you diagnose people, has many different diagnoses, but almost all of the diagnoses, I think, are related to an adverse event or something bad that's happened. There's very few that are not. So I really look at Uh, the broad scope of diagnosing and symptoms as related to what's happened. So when a person comes in for therapy, that's how I'm sort of framing things is, you know, what's happened to kind of abort this person's wholeness or their authenticity or create the symptoms because the symptoms are just a sign. They're not really what's wrong, but what happens in Western medicine is (laughs) we you know, put out, stamp out the symptoms. So you're killing the messenger, which really doesn't do anything except relieve for a moment, you know, sort of a symptom, but it doesn't really um, help you with the root cause of anything. So the symptom might morph into something else or come back. What What I love what you're saying too, is that you're talking about there are common reactions to trauma that in sadly, in kind of our Western view, we've depo- 
we've pathologized everything. And so what I'm hearing you saying is that we don't want to pathologize everything. We want to depathologize and help people understand what happened to them because it wasn't your fault that you didn't get what you needed as a child, but there were repercussions to you. And I, and I know, Kate, I've heard you talk about this, and I'm always inspired by those of us that are trying to walk in that world and saying, yes, we have this manual that gives you a diagnosis, but we want you to know that this doesn't mean that you're weak or there's something wrong with you. Your body and mind reacted in a way because of what happened to you. And I think you and I both believe that. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know that you have done a deep dive into the science of, of trauma. And if you'd like to highlight a little bit about what the effects of the mind and body and brain are in response to these traumatic events that happen. Well, our brain is really kind of hardwired um, to react to threat, that we are wired for survival. So when something happens that's overwhelming or threatening, the memory or the event, the memory of the event gets fragmented and locked in our brain and sort of preserved. Um, and it's not changed unless it gets hooked up to our adaptive memory networks. And if we're fortunate, and we grew up, you know, with <laughs> good resources, and um, we were able to cope well as a child and have good attachment, then we might have a lot of adaptive memory networks. But um, going forward, when that something similar to that event comes up, we can get triggered. And then it will feel like it's happening all over again. So one example might be a child that grew up with a lot of negative messages. Oh, you're no good, you're stupid, what's wrong with you? Well, the child is going to evolve with false negative beliefs about themselves, that they're not worth it, that they're a bad person, and I'm not enough. Those are common false negative beliefs that people come in with. And I think people, as you touched on before, don't connect what they're experiencing with it's about something from before. They just are kind of overwhelmed. They're having, you know, panic attacks or they're having some um, anxiety, depression symptoms, and they're not, they're just thinking something is really wrong, but they're not thinking about what it relates to and how its origin is from something a long time ago, perhaps, or maybe even something more recent. And so also, you know, when you say that, I know that many people are propelled to go to the doctor. Oh, there's something wrong with my heart. I'm having these palpitations. And then the doctor might say, well, there's nothing wrong with you. And they'll say, well, here, go see the therapist. So I know that that's not the intention, but sometimes there can be that saying, well, there's something you know, in my brain that's wrong, but it really is in the mind and the body. And I know that the body piece has been an important integration in the revision of your new book, um, revision three of your book that's been around for a while. Do so you want to talk a little bit about the body connection? Um, well, the brain, you know, when that happens, it disrupts the information processing in the brain. And is dysregulating. There's an influx of cortisol and neurotransmitters. It's as if the brain is saying, shh, this is important, don't forget it, and branding your brain. So going forward, that you'll remember this event. So there's really a lot of wisdom in your brain. And the brain is always trying to heal. 
So if you think about it, if somebody has um, a PTSD symptom like a flashback, it's really the brain saying, fix me. It's a fragment of a memory that was disturbing and the person might not even connect it with what it's really about. So the brain is always trying to heal and that's the good news that there is tremendous potential for healing just as our body is healing. If you cut yourself and you know the neutrophils and all these inflammation markers come in and eventually you get a scar and it heals, it's the same thing with the brain. The brain, the symptoms are kind of telling you that something is awry and it needs to be fixed, but it doesn't mean that it's permanent. It just means right now it's coming to the surface. And sometimes things can go underground for a long time and the person can function, you know, really at a high level for 20 years and then something will happen and, you know, they get triggered just like that. And And it can be something small too. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Exactly. But it'll feel, you know, overwhelming and the person won't understand what's well, not just about this mean boss that yelled at you at this minute, because who cares? <laughs> um, you know, it's really about a long time ago when something similar happened. So like we have these memory networks. And so maybe a loud voice is the, is the thing that sparks the memory from childhood where the loud voice meant you were slapped and, and punished by an, um, maybe an overly aggressive caretaker. Or even just anger in the family. Maybe there was a lot of chaos, a lot of anger. Maybe you weren't physically hurt, but it was just the stress and the tension. And you stored that in your body. So when something similar comes up and somebody gets angry, it can really leave you, you know, impotent and disabled where you can't even respond because you're kind of in a freeze situation. So as you're talking about this and, you know, people come to your practice, I'm certainly, I've, when I had my active practice, so many people came in with these stories. And I felt that one of the things that you, what came to mind as you were talking is like, you're trying to connect the dots to help people understand what has happened to them and how their brain and body reacted. So you're giving them kind of a new paradigm, a new view, so that maybe that can start dispelling some of the negative thoughts that they may have about themselves if they had, let's say, um, the kind of um, negative uh, talk that came to them as children. So I know that this brought you to EMDR, and you're, you're such a you know a, a figure in EMDR, and it's it certainly has been getting a lot of press lately. So many of our listeners may be going, "What in the heck is EMDR?" So um, can you tell us a little bit, and we'll talk more about it after our break too. But if you can say a little bit about what is EMDR, so in a simple way that we can understand it because eye movement desensitization reprocessing sounds, sounds big. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, well, Francine Shapiro, as you mentioned, developed EMDR back in the late eighties, I guess it was. Um, and she noticed that she was thinking something disturbing and her eyes were going back and forth and then she felt a little better and she thought, that's weird. So she got her friends to do it and then she started, she was in graduate school. So she decided to, um, she thought, now who's the people that are having the most problems? And so she got some veterans uh, and started developing 
EMDR and asking them to do this weird thing, because it is weird. When I first heard about EMDR, I thought, okay, you, you're weird. I'm not. I couldn't believe that this was a bona fide therapy. Um, but a friend of mine, how I got into it, she was getting wonderful results with her patients. And she said, you really should try this. And I'm like, yeah, right. Okay. So, but I did, and I was kind of blown away by it because in your training, you have afternoon practica and the morning's lecture. Um, so you really experience, um, what it's like to have EMDR with another trainee. Um, so I was so impressed with it that since then, that was probably mid-90s, when I began to use EMDR as my kind of primary modality of treatment for patients. Before that, I was um, doing psychoanalysis, and it seemed like it took a long time, and EMDR was is very patient-driven. You're not coming up with interpretations you're not sort of you're just facilitating the process and so you know in that sense it's really client driven i think and much much faster and the research shows that um it's the most cost they just did a study and a meta-analysis most cost effective uh treatment uh, for adults with PTSD of 11 different psychotherapies. So it's fast. And one study in particular shows that 90% of adults who had like one single bad thing, say they were in a car wreck or something, came in and in three sessions, um, they had uh, three 90-minute sessions. They had um, no PTSD after. Wow. So it's pretty... Uh, dramatic. Yeah. So I know it can be a little bit more complex if you've had more than a single event trauma. And so I, I'm so um, I'm going to be so excited to hear more about it after our break. So when we return from the break, um, Dr. Wheeler will continue to talk to us about EMDR and how it works. And, you know, it does seem like when you say um, after one session that a person was that much better, it seems almost unbelievable. And I know when I also first heard about EMDR and they said, well, somebody puts their hands in front of you and you follow someone's fingers, I thought, this sounds a little bit like hocus pocus. So um, I, I think we want to dispel that to help people understand what is actually happening in the brain that is be being rewired. And I know that that you're very embedded in, in um, illuminating that for us um, when we come back. So um, I'm with Dr. Kate Wheeler. She is one of the foremost um, authorities of EMDR in the country, and she will come back after the break with us and give us more examples and more information about how EMDR works. And also we'll talk a little bit too about how we've integrated the trauma resiliency model um, with EMDR therapy that actually can can bring in another element of healing for people as well. And I love that, you know, when I first met Kate, that it was a collaboration, right? Realizing that each of our therapies that we're both um, have learned so much about could be standalone therapies, and yet there can be integration that could be quite powerful as well. So we will be back in a couple of minutes and we will continue our conversation with Dr. Kate Wheeler. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. 
Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to traumaresourceinstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karis book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. I'm here with... Dr. Kate Wheeler, one of the foremost experts um, in EMDR. And right before our break, she was telling us that maybe after a car accident that um, there can be very speedy healing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the protocol for that, um, Kate? Yes. Um, EMDR is an eight-phase protocol. So if no matter what the trauma is, uh, the first phase is getting the person's history and really assessing for their stability. Uh, If they've only had one terrible thing, like a car accident, um, the research that I cited, it said after three 90-minute sessions, uh, 90% of PTSD was gone. So it's not just one session. EMDR is about developing a relationship with the person. So um, it would take, even if it was a simple enough one terrible event that it would still take some time and not just one session. So at the beginning you get a history and you're listening for 
what are the person's triggers? What are they here for? And you're getting a kind of a trauma history. But as Elaine said, the person might not even know that they've had something that happened. It may have been an attachment trauma, which, you know, is early on or some other thing, because what the brain does, it's very wise. It sequesters what happened um, and develop and sequesters, meaning they might not even have a memory for it because it's been put away. So all they have is these symptoms that they're trying to deal with. Um, if the person, um, it, the second phase is preparation. So if someone's had a lot of trauma from the past, maybe grew up in a chaotic family, or they might have uh, lived in a chaotic neighborhood, um, they may need more preparation. And I really love the model that you have, Elaine, with your resiliency zone, because I think it's perfect to understand how somebody can get knocked out of their resilience zone, either hyper aroused, maybe they're angry, irritable, anxious, or you can also be hypo aroused, which you might be very depressed, dissociated, numb, isolated. So either way, um, the challenge is to help the person to, maybe they have a really narrow resilience zone because they didn't have a lot of resources when they were growing up. So you would want to increase their resources, which is all about what CRIM does and uh, TRIM as well. So you educate the person in the second phase and you help them to connect with their resources. The resources are considered uh, in EMDR language, um, adaptive memory networks. So it's good stuff. Um, that the person has access to, that they can help themselves um, get back in their resilient zone when they get knocked out. And I think that model is so simple and beautiful to explain to patients. Yeah, so that you can integrate that really easily in those in before processing the traumatic experience. So Kate, I'm, I'm just wondering when you said, you know, for me, the bilateral stimulation, can you talk a little bit about what that is? So if when any of our listeners go to an EMDR therapist, what could they expect? Um, well, usually the research shows um, the bilateral stimulation is, uh, you can do it on Zoom, you can do it in person, but it's um, the main, bilateral stimulation is having your eyes go back and forth and the person tracks your fingers or whatever you're using. Uh, you, there's also a light bar. And what that is doing is telling the person to relax. It's stimulating the parasympathetic system, which helps people get back in their resilience zone. There's also, uh, you can have earphones with sounds, that's bilateral. You can have tappers or you can tap. Um, there's something called the butterfly hug. Um, so you can have any form of bilateral stimulation and you're doing that in the phase we call desensitization. So essentially you set up, I went through history preparation, the assessment phase, you set up the assessment phase on what you're going to work on. Um, 
and there's different components to that. And after you set that, so you're, you're trying to activate that trauma memory network so that you, it's like a portal. And then you do the desensitization, which tells the brain to relax. So mm-hmm. it's while the person is thinking of the disturbing thing, you're doing this weird thing that tells their brain to chill out mm-hmm. and it helps them to access adaptive memory networks. Well, you know, as as you were talking, I was thinking about when you were using the example of like, if we get that your body's designed for healing, that if we get a cut, that that we might have a scar, but that it will start to to very, very quickly repair. So it sounds like um, when things like post-traumatic stress disorder, that we we really weren't given this mechanism like the healing like of a cut on the finger or something like that. So it almost sounds like what EMDR does during this desensitization period, it helps the person be calm when they're thinking about this very distressing event. So then that's rewiring the brain. So it's no longer as evocative to them. So it doesn't spark the memories in the same way. Is that saying that correctly? Yeah. At first, when Francine developed this, she thought it just sort of desensitized things you know, like a behavioral thing. But then she realized it actually reprocessed the memory, which can create trait changes, which is huge. Usually trait change, when you say trait change, what do you mean by that? The way you go through the world, like a state changes one minute, you take deep breaths and you're, you know, a little bit more relaxed, but you still go to, may go through the world as a very anxious person, hypervigilant, and it hasn't affected you uh, as a personality trait, but EMDR can actually change traits and personalities so that it's not just for the minute that you feel better, it's going to endure. And it's kind of like, um, you're going to, process things that have kept you stuck in your life and maybe have been very limiting and it could take, you know, many different forms. I always ask somebody when they come into therapy, how are you going to know this works? What is going to be different or what's going to be better for you? So that's kind of our um, guidepost at the very beginning is we've got our goal. They might say, well, I won't get, so anxious when I have to get up and give a talk, or they might say, well, I'll sleep better. So it'll focus on something they're experiencing right now. Um, And then that's how you know, after you've done EMDR, whether the person is really reprocessed and they don't get triggered anymore, which is not Mm -hmm. just trying to, um, you know, like deep breathe so you don't so you can get over the bridge. It's actually, if you're phobic of bridges, you won't be phobic anymore. And you won't need to deep breathe going over the bridges. You're done with whatever it was that was keeping that alive for you. So when when you see these kinds of trait changes happening with the person, is there anything that EMDR does? Do you do the bilateral stimulation when there's been a change? Or you say, oh, well, you're done now. You can just go your merry way. How do, what, what happens when the, you see these shifts happening? Well, in the desensitization phase, the person often, like you do this bilateral stimulation, say 28 times or something. Then you ask the person what 
came up for them and they'll say something and then you say, go with that. And then they say something and then you do it again. Then they say, go with that. So the person has insights and the changes um, might be a change in their negative beliefs. I talked about that before. The change might be in their body. You can process somatically. And I think um, trim also, uh, that's one of the phases, which is the body scan that trim can be integrated into as well as phase two preparation. But um, you're going to see the changes. It's sort of like, um, I feel like sometimes I witness miracles in my office which sounds totally outrageous, but it's so rewarding and so exciting to see people kind of become who they could have always been. And their um, their uh, huge changes in their life. So there's changes outside the session that they'll come in, but also in the session when you're doing the processing and once you're finished with a particular, we call it a target, a thing you're working on, you know, you may have another, another thing might have come up that you're going to work on because it uh, helps to kind of dissolve dissociative barriers so that so what's, a dis- what's a dissociative barrier in uh, lay terms <laughs> so we can understand that. Put things away, right? And we have defenses. Thank God for defenses. But it will uh, reveal to the person kind of what that's about. So they figure this stuff out and they're making connections and these um, memory networks that were disrupted get reconnected to their adaptive memory network. So they'll remember what happened. It's not like hypnosis where, or something where you don't remember it. They'll know it happened, but it won't have the same charge as it did before. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I felt about it when I learned EMDR was I felt like there was a key that was put into um, this lock that had been stuck. And when you put the key in, which was the bilateral stimulation, it opened up all this potential. Because the potential was when you say, go with that, which is a common statement that an EMDR therapist might say to you, all of a sudden, like it was thoughts would come in. And so sometimes thoughts come into our brain all the time, but we don't think they're important. But that the EMDR therapist will say, everything is important. And so then you'd say, oh, well, oh, I was just a little girl. Well, that's just a little, I was just a little girl. Oh, go with that. So then the unwinding is that it wasn't your fault that your uncle sexually abused you because you were just a little girl. But if you were just having a conversation, that that, that that meaning may not have come up in the same way. But I also felt that when the um, the new thought comes in and we would continue the, uh, the uh, eye movement is that it seemed like it also made it so that there was a felt sense that this was true. Because, you know, sometimes things happen to us and someone says, oh, well, Kate, it really wasn't your fault. But you go, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, not really. It was my fault, right? You don't really believe it. But there was something about the embodiment of that belief that happens with EMDR that was different from other therapies that I've certainly witnessed. Right, I think that's what I meant. What, uh, you know, about defenses, it's like you get under whatever was going on that keeps you um, defended against anxiety or 
whatever the traumatic situation was so that it comes to the person themselves. It's not like it, like you said, if I said, oh, you know, you were just two years old, you know, it wasn't your fault. It wouldn't register, but the person figures it out. And it's just so uh, amazing and, you know, exciting. And everybody's brain is different. So it's kind of like watching you know, how the brain works in this most remarkable way. And I can't, I don't have any agenda except following my protocol. So I don't know where the brain's going to go. So I'm like watching this in amazement as they make the connections and as their brain heals and their brain um, goes to where it needs to go. There's no wrong way to do EMDR. That's a lot of And I think that there's a piece of it that I really want our listeners to get, and that's the empowerment piece, what you said, because so much about psychoanalysis, right, was interpretation of the person's experience from what I learned about it. You're more versed in it than I am. But to have the person, I'm not dissing psychoanalysis, I just want to say, but when this comes from yourself and you say, ah, that, oh, I I get it. And And then you do the bilateral stimulation and they sense it. It is, it is a game changer for them, for themselves and how they walk. And that's where the trait change happens, where yeah. now I can say, oh, I'm a more confident person. I can go up to them and say, no way, Jose, I am not doing that. And I have a, a, a personal boundary that I didn't have before. And right. that can be so, um, so empowering for people. And I, you know, I want to, because one of the things that we said is we were going to talk a little bit about um, trim and how trim can be integrated into EMDR. And I think with the the part that happens when there is that sense, when all of a sudden these incredible meanings start happening, sometimes there's also a very active body experience. And sometimes saying, well, you know what I would have done if I could have, I would have just, and you see the movement of the hands making fists, that the person seems like they want to make that movement. So that's where the trim piece comes in. We can say, well, can you, you know, what is the impulse of what your body wants to do? And so then you see the person start to make that movement. And as they start to make the movement, there's a huge release of tension in the body. And there's a release that happens where you often see the body trembling. And the person then starts saying, it wasn't my fault. It was their fault. And I can, I can protect myself now. And then I would just come back with a bilateral stimulation. And as you say that, notice that, right? And so then what else happens? And so then oftentimes more incredible meanings come up, but it's really the two working together when you see those, um, and really their survival responses. That's what I've seen be very potent, that when you see the physiological responses of the survival responses that you can so easily bring in the trauma resiliency model skills and then do the trauma reprocessing with the installation of the new meanings and the new sensations in the body with EMDR. So I don't know, that's been my experience. Uh, Kate, do you have anything that you want to add to that? Well, I just want to add that, you know, EMDR is kind of an integrative psychotherapy. So it does integrate a somatic piece and it integrates the cognitive piece, the behavioral, the psychodynamic, and that, um, Francine in her third edition, she just has a new book out, does speak to more, I think, about the somatic piece. It's one of the first therapies, you know, that really integrated that somatic piece, because a lot of therapies are talk, 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 (laughs) and, you know, it doesn't really um, go deep enough, because that, we call it implicit memories in the body, or um, things you're not consciously knowing, 
don't get touched unless you really do deeper work. And I think that's the beauty of kind of EMDR is integrative, but it also can be integrated into any other therapy. And so a lot of people that take the training are therapists from all different orientations, and then they kind of use EMDR as in their practice, and it very nicely is integrated into whatever they were doing before. And I think about psychoanalysis because it's kind of like the person's free associating, but they're free associating you know, with bilateral stimulation and the, it's happening much faster. It's yeah. just like lightning speed. And I think that, you know, the thing that when Kate and I first started talking about these kind of integrative pieces is that it's so important because I think the goal for the trauma resiliency model too, even though we call it a body-centered um, um, intervention, it has nine skills. The first six skills are for self-care, the, the, the other three, um, and also for intercepting the multi-sensory um, body-centered reminders that we, we get when we've had traumatic experiences. And then we learn that we can actually start to manage them and change them um, by learning how to read the autonomic nervous system through interceptive awareness, which we've talked about in other shows. But I think the other piece to it is that all, you know, when you're looking for a therapeutic intervention that you may think you want to work with, does it integrate all these pieces? And I think what EMDR does and also the trauma resiliency model is that we want people to have cognitive changes, right? That they can start thinking about themselves in, in a different way if they've had what's very common is really um, distortions in their self-view. You know, I've seen people that had three PhDs and said, well, you know, Elaine, you just have to face it. I'm just not very smart. So it, even though they had all that evidence, it didn't change this embodied sense that I wasn't good enough that often develops from when we we're little. And we had someone say that to us, right? But when we start to look at these different models that have the cognitive, that have the, um, the um, the embodied piece and also the feeling piece that you know talks about how we feel because what I've learned is that every thought, feeling, meaning has a corresponding sensation in the body, and that with EMDR's um, incredible impact as well as as reprocessing and unlocking those doors to be able to reprocess these these events in our life that can get stuck, that the two models can work very well together as well as working individually without integration, right? With um, being re being able to reprocess these, these events that have gotten stuck in our body, because oftentimes the body has been completely left out. Um, so I'm just wondering, Kate, as we're, um, we only, we only have a few minutes left. We have about, you know, uh, can you give us a, an example, um, you know, a real life example of a case when you said sometimes you just are in awe about what happens to people. So people can get more of a context of a real, um, story of someone that you may have worked with that might illustrate this EMDR's po uh, potency. Touched on complex trauma. You know, when when people come in, often they've had, a, you know, years of trauma, and then it's not just a few sessions. It's going to take longer. So this particular person had a lot of childhood trauma, attachment trauma, where her parents were both... Um, addicted to substances and her aunt came and took her when she was two and raised her. Um, she had several car accidents. Okay. So she comes in and 
what does she come in for? Her neighbors are driving her crazy. They live, you know, next door to her condo and they're making noise. So the noises are just driving her. She's having panic attacks. She's having back pain. She had many different diagnoses before this and psychosomatic symptoms. Um, so uh, what I did was treated her for six months and we, we call it targeted. I did EMDR on you know, the neighbors who were very annoying with their noise. Uh, also on her back pain, you can treat pain with EMDR. And um, it was so exciting to me. I also had given her a number of measures before I started the therapy because I was doing a study. So I gave her an anxiety scale, uh, back depression inventory, all these other things. And she was somebody that went to the doctors all the time because she was always having symptoms. So I gave her the health resource utilization scale, like how often do you go in the last six months um, and, and this other scale. So anyhow, at the end of this, um, it, 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 she evolved to where, first of all, her, the neighbors didn't bother her anymore. Um, she had decreased back pain. We targeted uh, the back pain for several sessions. Uh, she really developed, she had never really been in real therapy. She'd been hospitalized <laughs> for psychiatric problems, but not really got therapy. Uh, she developed kind of an integrative narrative about herself. And she was very dysregulated when she came in and she could now regulate herself and had greater access to her, we call it, to her emotions. Um, she became uh, more connected in her relationships and really had much greater resiliency. And all of those things I said that I gave her, uh, she scored, you know, better or lower, whichever the case might be in terms of what the tool was. So she left and she was so funny, like underneath all that, um, anxiety. She was hysterical. She had a great sense of humor, you know, and it was really just such a delight getting to know who she really was. So she but could it, be herself, the, the self that she was born to be. Exactly. And it wasn't yeah. apparent at all. You never would have guessed who was going to be under all that. Wow. <laughs> and it only took six months. So, um, Kate, thank you so much for illuminating us on EMDR. We've given people a little bit of an appetizer. And if people wanted to get a hold of you, um, they can get a hold of you at, at kwheeler at fairfield.edu, um, which is your, um, your, your, um, your email address. And if they want to get a, um, an EMDR therapist, is it, is it emdr.com that they would go to? They should go to EMDRIA, E-M-D-R-I-A, um, and there's a find a therapist tab. And Great to put in what radius 50 miles or 25 you want to go to the person and then you want to go to somebody that's at least certified certified or a consultant because they've got enough training and you can they'll give you a roster of names wonderful and then um, i want to remind people that kate's book psychotherapy for the advanced practice psychiatric nurse um, is available at amazon and um and who's your publisher for that one kate uh, Springer. Springer, Springer Publications. So Kate, thank you so much. And I, and I hope that every single person out there that are listening is listening to, to Kate today, that if you've struggled and if you've suffered, you know, to think about 
possibly getting, uh, you know, getting a therapist and to try to see if you can get some help and also to remember, you know, kind of what else is true in your life. Sometimes when we start cultivating and remembering that we are, we are, we're, we're so much in addition to our trauma. And with that, Kate, thank you. And thank you, listeners. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.